Hey, it's Jen Garrett here, and welcome to the Move the Ball podcast. I've helped thousands of people to develop their own personal game plan to achieve that next level of greatness. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies of professional athletes, Fortune 500 executives, and successful entrepreneurs to elevate your hustle and get you across your goal line. So get ready. It's your time to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. As always, it's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. Inside the huddle with us today and ready to help us to move the ball and share his amazing experiences and stories is one of Chicago's finest realtors, Mr. Matt Laracy. Matt is a third-generation realtor who is the managing broker for AmeriCorp Real Estate, which is a company founded by his father. And there, not only is he the managing broker, he also heads his own team, the Matt Laracy Group. And Matt specializes in all facets of the real estate business, whether it be navigating the way for first-time homebuyers to trying to score that perfect distressed property or providing help in the luxury market. Matt knows and has experienced it all. And I'm so excited for him to share his insights and advice for those of you that may be in real estate, for those that are considering it, or for those that are just looking to learn from someone who's been super, super successful over the years. And I'm really excited to have him be on the show. So Matt, Welcome to our show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Love to see what you guys are doing and just honored that you wanted to have us come on here. Yeah, and I know we wanted to have you on the show last year and COVID was, uh, last year was just a crazy year. So I'm glad that we're able to get you on in the beginning of this season. So thank you again so much for being here. And something that I I know I texted you about before, I wanted to say congratulations again, because you have a newborn at home. Yep. And so uh, I hope you're getting some sleep at night well you know it is you got you got quite a few kids yourself you know the first few months are always a little difficult but we appreciate the kind words and you know that the you're in the weeds for the first three months but once you get through it and they're sleeping through the night you kind of feel like a different person yes yes and uh the moments that you make with your little ones are just priceless so enjoy enjoy those moments because they grow up fast thank you so yeah we've been connected for a couple years you have a podcast as well Mm -hmm. i was on your show and we've stayed in touch since then, and I've just been really excited about seeing your company's growth over the years. I mean, and I saw that you had done a little video before we're back in 2013. Your um, group had $39 million in uh, properties sold, 130 properties. And then fast forward to 2020, you're at over $203 million sold, 400 plus properties mm-hmm. uh, that you've transacted. I mean, considerable growth. It's been great. So talk to us about your journey. How did you how did you get into real estate? I know your dad was a realtor and your third generation, but what really interested you about getting into the real estate practice? So yeah, I mean, my grandpa was in real estate. My father started our company. And so ever since I was a little kid, it was kind of like my dream to get into the real estate business. So when I licensed or when I graduated college, I was actually already licensed. So it, I just I just knew this was my path, that this was what I was going to do with my life. My old man, though, he, he's a old school Southside guy who's like, when I, when I got my license, he wouldn't let me come work for his company. He wanted me to work somewhere else first. So for the first six months of my career, I worked at a different company in the suburbs. And like everybody else out there, I thought life would be easy, right? So like you get real estate license, you'd automatically you know start making millions of dollars and the business would just magically come to you because now you're licensed. And I realized really quick that that was not going to be the case and that this was going to be a much more difficult journey than I anticipated. So talk to us about what that first uh, year was like 
at the other firm and then coming to work for your dad? So my first six months was terrible because I worked at a company, the guy that owned the company I went to work for actually used to be a client of my father's and kind of learned a lot from him. So I think there was some animosity there because I was the only person to not have a desk. I was 21 years old at the time. And the average age of the people at that office was about 65. So I didn't have anybody to relate to. And I didn't have anybody really to talk to about what to do. And when you get real, real estate license, even though I've been around the business my whole life and working in this office, I, I just didn't know how to do it. You, you know, I knew the admin side and how to do, plug stuff into the MLS, but I didn't know like, how did you actually get the business? I don't know why I never thought about that, but you know, for some reason up in that point, I didn't. After a while, the animosity kind of built and I, I finally just convinced my father to be like, why don't I just come work at, at your office? So six months in, I made that pivot and started working at his company. And it, it was a struggle. And my first year, I only had one sale and that was it. So you're 21 years old. All your friends are living in the city. They're, they're you know, making decent income. Some are making as high as a couple hundred grand a year. And I'm literally making no money working, you know, 18, 19 hours a day trying to figure out this thing in real estate. So it was, it was uh, tough as an understatement. Yeah. And so how, what kept you going? I mean, it, it's, it's not fun to not make money when you're putting all this work into it. So how, what was it that kept you going? You know, I remember that I would say that those first two to three years, like my first year, I think I had like one sale. The second year, I think I had like two or three sales. My third year, I had like maybe three or four sales total. So like, I remember the first three years, I made less than $30,000 my first three years total. I mean, that's what we're bringing in a day pretty much right now. So it's, it's kind of like wild when you think of it like that. But I remember that I wanted to quit every day of the week. And it just so happens that when the, the bubble burst, that was like pretty much two years in for me. For those, so the, for people out there that don't know, the real estate bubble burst in 08 and it became like the worst real estate market of all time. So here I am in 08, 23 years old, living at my parents' house. I had a long-term girlfriend that dumped me because she didn't think we'd ever amount to anything, you know, and found somebody that was rich and successful. And you're still a young guy, you know, you want to go out and, meet people. So, you know, I go out, hang out with my friends in the city and have to sleep on a couch if I ever wanted to go out and try to meet people telling them that like you're 23, living at home, you have no money and you're trying to start a career in real estate, which is at the time, you know, like the stupidest thing to ever be involved with. So I kept pushing myself because I, I know that I didn't want to fail, but I also had a mom who unfortunately passed away not too far after that, but kind of always told me that when it hits, it hits. Anything that's worth uh, you know, getting in life, you have to work for. And there's, there is no such thing as instant gratification. You know, you have to work for it. And I've, I've always been a very, very hard worker. That is one thing about me is that I do not mind working. I can work 22 hours a day. I don't need sleep. It doesn't bother me to work. But just like everybody, I do like to see a little bit of results. So it was discouraging, but I, I kind of was motivated by the fact that other people have made it. So why can't I? And I thought if I put in the hours, at some point, this thing has to turn. Gotcha. Well, that's great that you, you kept that determination because a lot of people would give up, right? 90% of people give up before they cross the finish line because it's too hard. They get discouraged and they're like, you know what? I just can't do it anymore. But it isn't because it can't happen. It's just they just give up. Well, you know, I remember there was a lot of times my, my, my mom gave me this clipboard because back this was before iPads people have these days and I would write stuff down. So I would, I would door knock. I would literally go up to people's houses and knock on the door. I'm like, Hey, you want to sell your place? Like, I, I don't know how to do it. So I had this clipboard that I uh, would throw away almost every night when I get home, like I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I, I'm, I'm over this. And I remember it would be like sitting on the kitchen table and I got up in the morning with like some, like, don't throw this away. Or, you know, I still carry that clipboard in my briefcase to this day to remind me of how far we've come. 
So it, people have to realize that if, if everybody was meant to make a million dollars a year day one, then everybody would be making it. Nobody would be successful because it just wouldn't make sense. Right. And so what advice would you give? I, I'm sure there's some people listening that are facing situations where like, do I continue or do I give up? So what can you share with them? What little nugget to keep them going? You know, I, I think this applies to any industry is that you got to keep working and you got to keep moving forward. You know, like life's going to get you down. It's going to hit you hard. It's how hard can you take that hit and keep moving forward, right? That's what Rocky Balboa said in that movie. I mean, I, I think about that quote all the time because it's, it's something that I've always thought about because the reality is, is that you need to learn what you're doing at your job first, no matter what job it is, and then take that and then use that to become successful. In every career, I mean, I hate to say it, but college doesn't really prepare you for the actual job you have, right? When you're in a job, that's when you learn about that particular job. College may prepare you to have some skills to maybe understand the job better, but too many people think they're going to you know, find a job at X company and magically just master it and make millions. And I think the best advice I could give you is that figure out the job that you have and actually figure out exactly what you're doing. Like for me, I took those first three or four years, I was flat broke. And I, I, the thing that I kept telling myself is like, this is like a college education for my job that I have to just kind of like grasp all the information, like hungry, hungry hippo and just like learn, 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 learn. So that when the market turns or I become better at my job, I can answer every single thing about the market and know everything about the business. And that's how I became successful is I learned the job. Too many people, no matter what job they get, they don't learn the job. They just try to get rich quick and then just like are immediately looking then to retire. Talk to us about what was that first moment that you really are like, yes, I'm on to something. It's finally happening. What was that first transaction or that experience that you went through that really got you excited about all of the hard work that you've been putting in over the last few years? I'd never really had that aha moment. The reality was, is that like I used to like in 08, which was again, the bottom, that's when I decided to pivot again. So my my father's company's on the south side of uh, Chicago. We're a blue collar family. That's just kind of like how it was. And I, I decided in 08 that I didn't want to sell in the suburbs or in the south side of the city. I wanted to sell downtown. That's where my motivation was. I'm a, I'm a high energy guy. I love the high rises. I love the big city. So in 08, I took the company downtown without a doll in my pocket. And I said that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it here. I, and I didn't know what River North was or Shooterville or Gold Coast or South, I had no idea that these things were even different neighborhoods. I, I really didn't. You know, Southside guys just were not as educated about the, the downtowns as other people are. So what I would do is I would come down here and I would literally with a, with a map, like a hand map, because again, cell phones like really weren't connected to the internet that much back then and draw out the different areas to understand where the areas were. And I'd, I'd walk into every building, and kind of teach myself that. So my quote unquote aha moment was more or less just like putting in the hours every day until I finally got a grasp of it. And after a certain point, I kind of started to realize like, hey, I think I might be onto something here because I'm starting to really understand and process information a lot quicker than I think my competitors were. And I like that you recognize that maybe you should pivot and try something different because especially as entrepreneurs, that's a huge part of the journey is recognizing when to pivot to try to make some things happen versus staying in the same path that you're on before where there may not be a market opportunity or there might be too much competition or whatever it is. But sometimes we do have to pivot or your product just isn't what the market needs, right? In certain cases. And so pivoting is such an important part of being successful. I was looking at myself and wanting to be honest with myself is who did I really want to be, right? And I knew that I always really wanted to be in the downtown markets, but I was trying to maybe make our family happier by being more in the suburbs, but it wasn't what I wanted. 
It's what like they wanted. And the minute I kind of realized that like, you know, you do have to be selfish sometimes and do what you want, because if you do what you want and you're passionate about it, success will come if you put in the hours. I think too many people, I, I think I, you know, I read a statistic one time that like 70 some odd percent of people don't like what they do. How can you ever be truly good at something if you don't really even like what you're doing? Right. I think there's so many people that feel like they have to settle right. for a job versus going after what they're truly passionate about. I remember for years I had been thinking about maybe one day I'll go off and do my own thing. But I was always a corporate person. I enjoyed corporate, but sometimes it, you wonder about other things. And a good friend of mine was like, yeah, you could hang up your own shingle because I am a lawyer. He's like, you know, start your own law practice. And he's like, you know what you should really do is go into patent law because I have two engineering undergrads so I could do patent law. And I'm like, you know, I have no interest right. in patent law. I, I just don't. I took patent law classes in school. I, I did well in some of them. I sucked at patent drafting. It's not my thing and I wouldn't enjoy it. And he's like, yeah, but you could make a lot of money. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to be happy. He's like, yeah, he's like, just you do it for five years, you make a ton of money and then you can go off and do something else. And I was like, yeah, what happens when I die in year three? trying to get to your five, right? I mean, you never know. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. And exactly. I, I just refuse to spend my time doing something that I just don't enjoy. Exactly. And that's, you know, and I think that's a problem that a lot of people fall into and they just, they just are doing it for somebody else or to please somebody else. And it just, it ends up getting people put in a rut. Yes, yes, very much so. So, you know, my book, Move the Ball, was all about how you take football principles and apply it off the field to be successful. So in the show, I like to throw in some sports references and analogies. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to do is ask you a question about in business, in football, in life, sometimes we fumble the ball. Can you talk to us about a time where you fumbled the ball and how did you bounce back from that? Man, I, I fumble the ball all the time. I mean, I'm a human being. I make mistakes every day. And I'm never one that's too big to tell you that I made the mistake. I will always own the mistake when I make it. But I remember that the year we went 69 million to 105 million, we, we made a big jump that year. And I was still, we were about two years into the team. And I just remember that, like, I just, there was just too much. I was one person trying to do so much at one time. And I think, there was probably some clients during that time that I may not have serviced as well as I would in today's day. I, I think I fell into that category of when you start to become super successful, you kind of lose sight of yourself for a minute. Some people lose sight of themselves for a lifetime. You know, they become somebody else, they become condescending, they become too big for everybody else. And I, I'm not saying I was like completely there at that point, but I, I think I was one of the people at that point that had to tell everybody that I did everything. You're at that point where you're starting to become successful. You don't want anybody else that works with you to get that success with you. You want to kind of try to take all the reins. And I, I think I fumbled the ball in trying to uh, not only do too much as one person, but also try to take too much credit, which maybe not be able to distribute the power evenly. So like letting go, I think was one of the biggest things that helped me get even farther is the minute I realized that like, I don't need to tell everybody that I did this or I did this. It's it's a compliment to say you have a great team. It's a compliment to say you have a great assistant or a great agent or something like that. And I think a lot of people, when you get when you start to get very successful, you kind of forget that. You kind of forget that you you need to make sure that there's other people there to support you, but also make sure that they're the ones that are getting some credit and success for it. You don't need to tell everybody that it's all you. And I, I think during that year, I, I can remember pretty clearly that I, I, I've definitely made some mistakes that I reflected on. And I, you know, I pivoted and, and changed it pretty quickly. 
So talk to us about team for a minute, because you bring up an important point. It's not just about you and you need to kind of keep your ego, your ego in check and remember that it's not just about you. And being successful does uh, require having a great team. And I mean, there are times when we are successful on our own, but many times we have people around us that are helping us, whether it is a, a formal team in a business setting or just people in life that are helping us. And so talk to us about as you built your team, what were some of the things that you looked for, the qualities in the, I mean, obviously they had to have real estate licenses, right? That's the minimum, but there's so many realtors out there. So what did you look for as you brought people into your team? Uh, work ethic is number one. To me, you know, I believe life is meant for work, not for pleasure. And I, I totally realize that 99.9% of people think that's crazy. But I do believe that everybody that works for me should be a workhorse. And two is undying loyalty. In my business, it's very cutthroat and everybody will screw everybody over for a dollar. So I figured if you are extremely hardworking and you are a loyal individual, I could help mold you into the best version of yourself. But if you don't have those two characteristics, you really have no use for me and trying to build a business. And when you're trying to build a team, you need to find the characteristics that not only that I want to display my team, but then I also need to figure out what holes do I need to fill that I'm not good at. So where are my weaknesses? And then I need to find somebody that's good at my weakness and that, you know, what my weakness is, is their strength. So it's like, you know, you want to talk about a football reference, right? Like Tom Brady can't win on his own. He's the greatest quarterback ever. But it's if it's just the quarterback out there, he's not any good. If he doesn't have an offensive line to protect him, to be able to have the time to throw the ball, Tom's not going to be any good. So it's like us. It's like, you know, for me, it's like, hey, maybe I'm the best quarterback. But, I you know, my assistant may be that offensive line that's going to help alleviate me to give me the moment to be able to be out in the field to do my job to sell. But like the problem is, is too many people don't see that. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you need to write down what your weaknesses are. And when you're interviewing, figure out the characteristics you want and figure out what's who's got the strengths to fill those holes in your weakness. Absolutely. And sometimes in business, we pick up the wrong people on our roster. And I think it's important to you try to build this great team. And sometimes it doesn't always work out. And you have to have that courage to say, you know what, this isn't a fit. And we're gonna have to make some some changes some moves. That's what football teams and other sporting teams do, right? They make trades. I mean, there's a number of other reasons why they might do that too, not just from a fit standpoint. But is there a time that you've had to make that call over the years where you've had to let somebody go because it just wasn't the good fit for your team? I've made some terrible hires. I've made a lot of bad hires. I, and for anybody out there that's listening, I think you'll know when you hire somebody, you know, in your gut, when you're interviewing, if they're a good fit or not. And sometimes you like, you're either need somebody so badly that you want it to work or like you just really want it to work bad. And you know that they're not the fit, but you hire them anyways. And every bad hire I've had was because of that. And I'm a big believer in connections. So if somebody knows me through somebody or they're a friend of a friend, or et cetera, so then I would hire them even though I know they weren't right. And then the bad thing is, is like you just have that feeling in your stomach that you know it's not going to work, but you try to bury it down and not pay attention to it. But it always comes back to bite you. And the best advice we can give you is when you have a bad egg in your team, you got to cut the head off right away. I mean, I remember I fired a girl on December 23rd and everybody in the office said I was such an ass for doing it. But the way I looked at it is that this person was a poison in our group and they just weren't doing good and it wasn't a good fit. And I, I literally couldn't sit there another day because it was negatively impacting the business. And it didn't matter to me what time of the year it was. This is a business that I'm running. It's a business decision. 
you can't get emotional or feel bad about it when if you're running a business, when the decision comes, you have to get good at, at firing people. And I would say the two mistakes I've made is either hiring people when I know that they weren't a good fit or two, hanging on to that employee for too long. Those are two problems I've had. Each time it's worked against me, but I have learned a lot from it. Now I know what to look for when I'm hiring. I'm glad you mentioned that Like you have to know when to, to let go of those employees or, or team members. Because I've worked with a number of small business owners and medium-sized businesses, and they'll come to me and they'll talk about you know, individuals in their organization. And I tell them the same thing. you got to make the tough call. You know, if it's not working out and depending on the the industry you're in, I mean, you may have to have some documentation and performance management stuff in place, but you have to have the courage. You can't let that poor performance or that toxic person continue because it really, as you mentioned, poisons, right? The rest of the group. So you have to have that courage to say, you know what? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to make the tough call. Any business owner knows that firing is not easy. I mean, you know, these people's livelihood depends on you and you're still a human and you, you got emotions running. So it's, it's never an easy thing. And I know this sounds terrible, but after you do the first or second firing, it, it, it does get easier because you can see that you're running a business. And in order for the business to run on all cylinders, you need the best people. And if you don't have the best people, you're not good delivering a good product. And if you don't have a good product, you're going to be out of business before you know it. Unfortunately, you have to get good at understanding of when to hire and when to fire. And if you don't have that trait, your business won't succeed. One other thing I think is important is it's not just, it doesn't have to be a hostile relationship either or a hostile situation, meaning that somebody may be a great person and have great skill set. It's just not the right fit for your organization. So you, you let them go, but you can also, again, depending on the relationship you have with that person to help them find if you, there are people in your network that you know that might need their skill set, you can try to place them in something better too. That's a better fit for everybody. Right. So it's not just this. You got to be cutthroat and and cut the ties and say, no, you're not cutting it for me. Maybe there's somewhere you can help them. I still write letters for the people that I let go when they're job interviewing. And I always take the call and give high words. I just think that's the right thing to do in general. And maybe I sound a little more cutthroat than I meant. But what I meant is more or less like you just have to know when to when to fire somebody. But it's never good to leave on a bad footing with somebody. I mean, at the end of the day. People are still people and you got to treat everybody the way that you would like to be treated. I'm just saying in a business sense, you got to know when you got to move on with the business. Absolutely. Yep. Completely agree. So share with us, we're in 2021, new year. You know, a lot of people were so ready to write off 2020. I know you had a great year last year. Uh, I've seen you know your growth over the last few years and I know you're going to continue to grow this year. But talk to us about what's uh, what's your focus this year? And our focus is getting bigger and better. I believe you should always wake up every day a better version than you were the day before. 2020, even though it was a terrible year for a lot of people, we crushed it. I mean, I, I remember when COVID first hit in 2020 that I, I said to myself, just like everybody else, I had about a five-minute panic attack. Like, how are we going to survive this? You know, how am I going to show homes when nobody wants to leave their house? And I said, I'm not going to let this get me down and I'm going to succeed. And we, we, had our, we, you know, we had our best year ever. And I, as we head into 2021, I took all the lessons I learned from 2020, and I'm going to use those to my advantage. And I looked at all the weaknesses we had. I spent all of November, December looking at all the weaknesses my company has and what can we do to do better. We rebranded our entire company. Going into 2021, we became a totally different rebrand of our company. We refreshed everything. 
I had the greatest year of my career in 2020. Let's, let's be better next year. Let's change this. I don't care how much it costs to do it. If we're going to succeed and push this even further, we're going to have to change things up. And, and, and a lot of people get content. They, they use last year's success and they just kind of coast on that till it's over. And then they try to kind of pivot and make a change later on. And I thought, hey, we're riding a high now. Let's switch things up while we're on a high to be even better than we were. And that's the way I'm looking at 2021. And that's the way I look at every year. I never understood why somebody said, what was the best year ever? I always say the best year ever should be the year that you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. And something I want to share with everyone listening is Matt has consistently been one of the top five agents in Chicago. And Chicago is a big city. So there's a lot of agents out there. So, I mean, I think it's great that you're not just riding the successes that you've had and you're still looking at how can I can improve? How can I take my business to that next level instead of saying, hey, we've been successful. Let's just keep doing what we've been doing. And that's it. And not really looking at how you can improve. Exactly. And, that, and that's something that we do all the time. And we have meetings every week about what are we doing wrong? What can we change on it, et cetera? So we're constantly trying to push it forward and try to be bigger and better every single day. And that's what everyone else listening should also be doing. Think about where am I at now and how can I improve? Even that focusing on that 1% improvement each and every day that compounds. And uh, you'll be amazed at how much progress you'll make in a year if you just focus on making those incremental improvements every single day. I always compare it to dieting. It's kind of like, you know, you cheat here, you cheat there, mayo here, extra piece of chocolate every night, glass of wine, whatever. And then three months go by and you're like, how did I gain 10 pounds? It's the same way with the way you work. You'd be surprised how if every day you make a small change, how much difference it could be that three months from now you look back and like, wow, we really came a long way just by doing those small things. But at first it didn't really look like it, it did much for us. And that's the same thing is that like a lot of times it's a little mistakes that are keeping you back. What I want to do now is I want to transition to my two-minute drill. I'm going to just ask you some uh, fun questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. First one is, what did you want to be when you're 10 years old? And I think I know the answer. Oh, uh, real estate agent. Always wanted to. Yeah. Okay. Next question is, who would play you in a movie about your life? Matthew McConaughey, because I look just like him. Got it. <laughs> How about... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Next question is, what is your favorite vacation spot? Paris. Or an apple, one of the two. Both good choices. Next question, what is your favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. Oh, that's a good one. Um, Baskin Robbins mint chocolate chip is one that I That is a phenomenal one. How about what is a pet peeve of yours? Compliments. Really? Yeah, I I feel weird when people give me compliments. That's just uncomfortable. Oh, interesting. Okay. How about what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? Neither. I don't listen to podcasts and I do not read books, which I know is against the grain from what everybody says. Everybody has their thing. Okay, last question is, you are hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, either living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? Arnold Schwarzenegger, because he's my biggest hero. I've looked up to that guy. I think he's had a phenomenal start from where he's... To be a poor kid living in Austria without a dollar in his pocket, to become one of the most successful human beings of all time is phenomenal. I would like to have Napoleon there because he's the greatest general probably in the history of humanity. And uh, I would also like to have for today to learn some information, Vladimir Putin, which I'm not saying I'm a fan of his, but considering he's now today the most powerful person, probably debatably in the, in the world, I would just I would just be interested to see what the hell's going on. Sure. Yeah, should would be a def, uh, an interesting conversation for sure. I mean, think about it. If those three were there, like that'd be, uh, you know, Russia beat the French, right? And then you got Arnold Schwarzenegger. It'd be a very interesting dinner. 
Yes. Yeah, it definitely would. So as we wrap up today's show, share with our listeners, kind of how can they follow you and your company? And you also have a YouTube channel. Yeah. Check out our Matt Literacy YouTube channel. We have vlogs, podcasts. We put a lot of cool content up on there. Check us out on Instagram as well. That's mliteracy. Uh, you can keep up with all of our social life and what's going on behind the scenes. Awesome. And we'll be sure to have all of those in the show notes so people can follow you and stay up to date on all the cool things that you are doing. And Matt, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to everyone for listening. So I'm going to throw out a call to action out there to everybody. If you find this podcast helpful and there are others you think would enjoy listening to them, please share it with them. Think about five people in your network and tell them about it and have them take a listen. As always, I appreciate your guys' support. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.